1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask now for wisdom and insight into your word. We ask that as we meditate upon these words, that we would rightly apply them to our hearts and lives. And even as I prepare to preach this, I feel the weight of it in my own life. And so would you grant us strength to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was asked a few years back in my coaching authorization class about whether a person could be a good leader and be an immoral person. Can a person be a good coach and be immoral? And so we debated this question in our little groups. We got into little groups. We debated this question. And it was interesting because it made some good conversation, right? Even on defining, well, what's moral and what's, what's good and what's immoral. So we just had good discussion in that regard. So how would you respond to that? What makes a good leader? We recognize the impact that leaders can have on groups of people. Those in leadership have the ability and influence to change the the culture of a group or a team or a classroom or even a country, right, or a church for good or for bad. There can be negative effects with bad leadership, especially in trying times, When there's corruption in leadership, the people are less likely and willing to follow. They lose respect for the system as a whole. In fact, we we, we even see this within churches. I've known several people, my dad for one, who abandoned the church altogether because of leadership. And even as I've wrestled with this passage, and I've been challenged in so many ways to do a better job of leading. Right? And even as we, we think of our own church, right? as we think of our church here, many of you who were here before I got here have, have gone through a church split that you can see the effects and the difficulty that, that leadership can have on, on a people. And so I, I want you to know I'm, a, I'm aware of this, and so I hope that what I say will encourage you. When I'll, you'll be encouraged by this message and by my own heart as we consider Christian conduct in leadership, and specifically with leaders in the local church, with, with the elders. And what's fascinating here about 1 Peter is that the apostle Peter was not unaware, he was aware of bad leadership. Throughout his letter, especially in chapters 2 and 3, he had placed a priority on, the calling, on calling those who were mistreated and those who were marginalized by bad leaders to conduct themselves in a certain way. And specifically, whether it was, it was governing authorities. We saw that in 2, 
13 through 17, or the employer-employee relationship in 2, 18 through 25, and then even in marriage and the husband-wife relationship in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And Paul targeted our response with those in society for those outside of that covenant community, or those outside the church, and he called us to be subject to them in hope that our Christ-like conduct might lead them to salvation. Right, so he was focusing on those who were mistreated and, and marginalized in hope that we might, be, we might bring them to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the way we live. And, and now, he draws our attention to the leadership within the church. And what makes this also interesting is that his focus, it had been on the ones who were called to submit, to be subject, but now, notice what he does. He spends time exhorting the leaders, the elders. So three questions I have I want to answer this morning. What are the duties or tasks of the elders? How should the elders perform these tasks? And then how should the church respond? So first, consider with me the task of the tasks of the elders. What are the tasks or the duties of the elders? So look again at verse verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Peter begins his exhortation by drawing implication and implication from the previous passage. So, or therefore, I exhort the elders among you. What's the connection? Last week we saw in verses 12 through 19 that the sufferings that we experience are intended to purify and refine our faith. It is a judgment that begins with the church. There was a parallel with Ezekiel 9, 6 in which judgment begins at God's temple. So they began with, and I mentioned this last week, they began with the elders who were before the house. So judgment begins with the temple, and they began with the elders who were before the house. And now, since it is the time of judgment to begin with the church, right, with the spiritual house, where where does he start? With the elders. With the elders. The elders were men who were appointed to be the spiritual leaders in local churches, In Acts 14, as the Apostle Paul proclaimed the gospel and people were saved, he would strengthen the followers of Christ, he would encourage them in the faith, and then appoint elders in local churches. He'd appoint elders among them who would carry on the work after he was gone. We see this in Titus 1 as well. The elders provided leadership in the local churches. It was one of the two offices that 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 was established in the church, In 1 Timothy 3, we have elders or overseers, and then we have deacons. So these were the two offices. That's what we have here at Pleasant Ridge. We have have a plurality of elders, seven men who provide the spiritual leadership of this local church. And as Peter exhorts the elders, he identifies with them. Did you notice that? Instead of using his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he did when he started the letter, He places himself as a fellow elder. He's an elder as well. And what what does he do? 
He testifies. He is a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I don't, I don't believe this is a reference to, to Peter just being simply an eyewitness of the sufferings of Jesus, but rather as one who proclaims and testifies to the suffering of Jesus Christ on our behalf. As elders, we are to bear witness then to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, Peter declared that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the good news that we bear witness to. Peter also says here that he will share in the glory that will be ours when Christ returns. And what does he warn and exhort them to do? What does he tell the elders? What are their tasks of the elders? So I've mentioned one already. We testify to the suffering of Jesus Christ, to the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Now notice verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The elders are called the shepherd. The word shepherd is where we get our word pastor from. It refers to the idea of tending a flock, guarding and guiding a flock. An elder is to shepherd, to pastor God's flock. In Acts 20, Paul calls the elders in Ephesus, the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he declares to them how he lived among them and how he did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. And then he says this to the elders in Acts 20, verse 28. So he says this to the elders in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, to shepherd, to pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. These terms which we see in our text in 1 Peter, elders, Our shepherds or pastors are overseers and they exercise oversight. So these three terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament and that's how I use them in reference to the spiritual leadership within a church. So the task of the elders is to shepherd God's flock. They're to do so towards those who are among them. And so the question I ask myself is this, who are the elders to shepherd? God's flock. Yes, but why does he add among you? Are the elders at Pleasant Ridge to shepherd believers in every location? Am I to shepherd my friends that are visiting here from Boston? Or how about all the believers in Glidden or Carroll or Coon Rapids or Scranton or Jefferson? There seems to be some way to identify those who are God's flock among them or among you. And so then practically, practically, what does it look like to shepherd God's flock? What should you expect, right? What should you expect from the elders here at Pleasant Ridge? And when you look for potential elders, right, we, you raise up elders among us, what does it look like or what should you look for in potential elders? Ezekiel 34 is helpful in explaining what the elders were called to do but failed to do. 
Ezekiel 34.2 says this, Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You do not feed the sheep. Verse 4, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, and they became food for all the wild beasts. Here's the picture. Shepherds feed the sheep, strengthen the weak, help and heal those who are hurting and sick. Shepherds seek after and bring back those who have gone astray. They lead not with force or harshness, and they protect the sheep from wild beasts or or in the New Testament, use from wolves who seek to destroy them or lead them astray. I've heard it described in this way. Shepherd, a shepherd knows his sheep, feeds his sheep, leads his sheep, and protects his sheep. A shepherd knows his sheep, feeds his sheep, leads his sheep, and protects his sheep. There's a sense of provision and protection and guidance of a faithful shepherd. So practically, how do we shepherd you? Right? What are we called as elders here? How do we shepherd you? Shepherd, shepherding, as I've already said, involves knowing the sheep. Right? Knowing those under our care. So as our church grows in numbers, as elders, we, we recognize this, and we're still making progress in this. But since I can't get to know everybody in the church at the same level, the elders are, are helping me with this. We've attempted to make sure that there are personal connections with those who attend with at least one elder. Right, we, we've called this shepherding groups. So among the elders, we have our, our shepherding groups that we are at least checking in, seeing how you are doing. And, and for the most part, this has happened naturally, just kind of natural relationships that have, have come about through this. We want to know our sheep which means that we seek to become familiar with your needs and your circumstances. We want to show you love and care, and we do so by trying to visit you and pray for you. And we want to ultimately strengthen you spiritually. We want to build you up in the Lord. Shepherding involves feeding the sheep. This means that the elders are responsible for the teaching and preaching ministries of a church. It means that we intentionally seek to proclaim God's word. We proclaim the whole counsel of God, which is what Paul did in Ephesus. So when I preach, I'm not just preaching the books of the Bible that I like. Right? We'd be in Hebrews. We'd still be in Hebrews. I would have started in Hebrews and we'd still be in it. Which someday we'll get to Hebrews. And I'll show you why I like it so much. But what we do is we work through verse by verse, book by book, covering various genres in the Bible, exposing you to the whole counsel of God. So that God's word then sets the agenda and direction for our church. Right? It's not my creativity or lack of creativity or my opinions or my preferences or the elders' preferences. So, in Sunday school, we teach God's Word, right? We work through books of the Bible and also topics that, that help us rightly apply biblical truths to our lives, right? So we have a class on 2 Kings, finishing up 2 Kings. 
We've got a cl- class right now on Christian character, right, where we're covering various topics and help us apply God's word to our lives. And also on, on Wednesday nights in our fall and spring, we work through the whole storyline of Scripture. We just spent three years doing the Old Testament, and we're getting ready this fall to start the New Testament and spend three years on that. So we go through the whole storyline of Scripture and show how it all points to Jesus. It's our aim as elders to serve you by feeding you a steady diet of God's Word. And this is also the way that we help you and protect you from false teaching and from wolves who seek to lead us astray. We also see that shepherds, they led and protected the sheep. So the elders would cast a vision and give direction for a church. They would lead by making various ministry decisions. And they would equip the believers to build one another up. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So, so it's not just this. It's not just, okay, I'm one of the elders and we're just getting to know you, the body of Christ here at Pleasant Ridge. It's not just that where we get to know you and then we micromanage everything. That's not it. But we seek to lead you by equipping you to build up one another in the Lord. All right? This is, this is something we want you to do as you continue to get to know each other. We want to encourage you to get to know each other, to build each other up in the Lord. We also seek to lead by looking after the flock. We are to lead by looking after the flock. The elders were called to watch over the flock of God that is entrusted to them. So look again at verse verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. We are overseers. We We are to watch over you. We are to look after you. Elders provide the spiritual leadership, guidance, and protection for the flock that God has given them. Now the question is, how? How? How how should we do this? So look with me now. Consider with me now the character of the elders. This is the second point in your outline. The character of the elders. We see this in the second part of verse 2 through verse 4. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So how should the elders perform the tasks of shepherding and overseeing the flock? And here Peter addresses the manner and the motivation for the elders. His concern is their character more so than their giftedness. Character matters. Character matters. One writer states this. Leaders of character produce organizations of character because character, like conviction, is infectious. Followers are drawn to those whose character attracts them as something they want for themselves. We know that character matters when we hire a babysitter. How can it not matter when we are calling a leader? We know that character matters when we hire a babysitter. How can it not matter when we are calling a leader? Elders are called to shepherd by exercising oversight. 
And here's how they shouldn't do it, and then here's how they should. Verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So first, the elders are called to exercise oversight. They're to watch over the flock out of a willing heart, not out of compulsion or necessity or of force. Right? We, we recognize the elders here at Pleasant Ridge are, are appointed by the congregation. They're appointed in the local church as well in the New Testament. So what we do here at Pleasant Ridge is we bring up various names of potential elders, and then they're voted upon by the congregation. And so the man must be willing to serve in this capacity, right? Not because he's forced to, not because there, there aren't any, or because he's really gifted in preaching or teaching or leading people. It's not something that we push someone into, which reminds us of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3 regarding this office. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, Right? So, so there's a willingness, there's a, there's a desire in the, to serve in this role, a desire to lead, a desire to shepherd, a desire to watch over God's people. And I would just say this here, as an elder here, serving with the other elders, serving with Dwayne Bunt and Vernon Bunt, Dwayne Everly, Jeremy Strasser, who's not here, Matt Shipman, Todd Tidgren, who's not here as well, these men watch over you willingly. They watch over you willingly. They have a deep, deep love and concern for you. They have a desire to know you and care for you. And so I just, I commend the leaders to you this morning, to the, to the leaders that we have here at Pleasant Ridge. I'm thankful that I can serve alongside them. It's a blessing that I can serve with these faithful men. The second way that the elders are to exercise oversight is at the end of verse 2. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So this is a warning against greed. False teachers in the New Testament would, would, were often condemned for their love of money. They would use their influence, and they would say what they did. Ex- they would exploit people say what they did, have their ears scratched, and tell them what they wanted to hear in order to make money. Right? We, we recognize this in our own world in, in, in the health and wealth gospel. Right? It's so prevalent in our day. People, false teachers, take advantage of other people for the sake of money. But even then... Elders, elders who are paid, like myself, I need to be reminded of this. Right? I need to be reminded of this. That we don't simply, that I don't simply treat this job as any other job. Right? They don't treat it like a, just for a paycheck. We shouldn't do it for, mon- for the money. Right? Going to work at Target. Well, it's another job. That's how I felt when I lived in Louisville. And you guys have heard plenty of stories about my time there. I don't have any more to share at this point. (laughs) Maybe next week. The third way the elders are to exercise oversight is in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders are not to be harsh and domineering, Right? They must not use their position of authority to get people to do what they want. 
They must not intimidate or be forceful in their leadership, but instead they are to be examples to the flock. Some practical, practical ways to be an example of the flock or to the flock might involve a, a display and a willingness to serve in various capacities, right? It might mean getting involved in a, in a ministry area that doesn't receive much recognition, right? Perhaps it's jumping in and helping someone in their workplace, right? I know, I know the elders here do that. They'll jump in. They find out someone has a need. They jump in and help you guys out. And I'm incredibly blessed and thankful for that. Elders can be examples to the flock in, which they, in the way that they handle suffering and difficulty, right? So they can set a good example by how they go through trials of their own. Or in the way they seek to lead their home and help their family grow in the Lord. Or in the way they interact with those outside of the church, right? We can be examples to you on the way we interact with our unbelieving friends and neighbors, and in verse 4, the result of, the sh- of shepherding well and setting a Christ-like example in our care for the church is that elders are rewarded when Christ returns. Though the labor may be lonely and difficult at times in this present life, and though we might suffer more persecution, right? So even as our, we observe our own culture and world as it becomes more and more pagan, most likely I'm going to experience more persecution and suffering because of it. It is worth it in the end. The chief shepherd will appear. The chief shepherd will appear, and those elders who faithfully committed to their task will receive the unfading crown of glory. We have a chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who always leads us in the right way to go. He watches over us perfectly, and he knows us better than anyone else. And the fact that we have a chief shepherd, right? Did you catch that? He mentions chief shepherd. The fact that we have a chief shepherd reminds us that the shepherds, the elders, are sheep as well. As I studied the passage this week, I was constantly reminded of how often I fail to shepherd well. We fall short. We sin against God. We need a great shepherd. And the good news this morning is that we have a good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. I cry, a lot, I cry a lot, friends, when I preach. If you're here this morning and all you've known is bad leadership, and all you've known is bad shepherds, turn to the good and faithful shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example. He laid down his life for you. He's worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be followed. 
So if you're an unbeliever here this morning even, trust in the good shepherd. Trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. He laid, his, he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for others. But we recognize how often we fail at this. Right? We need the care, we need the protection of our good shepherd as well. So pray for us. Pray for the elders here. And as we seek to be an example to you with all of our flaws, we pray that the character of Christ might shine through. Might our love and concern be evident for you. That we would not lead with harshness. That we would not be domineering but be a Christ-like example. That's why I pray for myself. Lord, I don't want to lead harshly. And that we, you would be willing to imitate and follow our example. So third and finally, third and finally, the response of the church. How should the church respond? Notice verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter now moves from the exhortation to, for the elders to those who are younger. He exhorts the younger to be subject to the elders. Some have, have taken this as a reference to those who are spiritually younger in the faith or even those who are new in the church. Others have taken this as a reference to those who are not yet elders. Right? Generally, the, the, the elders were older men. So this would refer to everyone in the, in the congregation. But it seems likely to me, as I read this, it seems likely that this is simply a reference to those who are actually younger. They're, they're physically younger, right? Perhaps it seems like Peter is targeting a specific group within the church. Those who aren't very old. They're younger. Now, I don't know. I'm not sure what qualifies whether someone is old or young. I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm young or old. I think I'm young. I feel young. I feel young. It's been stated that those who are younger in that day and in today's world as well, those who are younger have a harder time, and perhaps you know this from experience, those who are younger have a harder time following and placing themselves under leadership. I noticed that with kids and coaching teams, just, just in teams that I've had, right? The, the younger kids, Caitlin's age, Johnny's age, those are, they have a lot harder time following the coaches and their direction than the high schoolers that I coach. It's just a matter of fact. So by focusing then on, on those most tempted to disregard leaders and not be subject to them, it's likely that what's true for them is to be true for the congregation as a whole. So the principle could apply then to the whole congregation. So the church is to respond by being subject to the leaders. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? Two things I want to say about this. First, the elders are not and must not demand submission from those in the church, right? It's not, you must submit to everything I say. That's not it. We don't say that, and we shouldn't say that. 
We saw this with, with the husband-wife relationship in, in chapter 3. And unfortunately, we see leaders take advantage and misuse their authority. We, just, we see that happen. But when a servant-hearted leader follows the example of Christ, there will likely be a willingness to follow and trust the leadership and direction of the elders. Second, submission does not mean doing everything the elders say. Right? We don't demand it, and it doesn't mean you do everything the elders say. We saw this with the husband-wife relationship in, in chapter 3. Maybe you recall this from chapter 3. The wife disagreed with her husband on who he was worshiping. The wife sought to influence her husband in order to win him to the Lord. The wife also isn't called to follow her husband into sin. And the same is true in the roles that we have within the church. Being subject to leaders might look like a willingness to follow, to encourage, to help support those in leadership. And we carry out, when we carry out Christ-like conduct in our roles, it shouldn't be a burden. And as a side note, I would just add, the congregation as a whole in the New Testament has the ultimate authority in matters of doctrine and conduct. Right? So you see that within the church. The church as a whole has authority in matters of doctrine and conduct. So how else are the elders, or how else are the, is the church to respond? The last part of verse 5. And this is quick. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So now, Peter reminds us all of the character that we are all to have. Right? Whether it's elders, whether it's the younger, whether it's the congregation as a whole, we must all be clothed with humility toward one another. Leaders are to be humble. The congregation is to be humble. So let's root out pride in our hearts and lives. If you notice pride in your own life, let's root it out in the way we relate to one another. Let's be characterized by our humility in our various roles that God has given us. And let's consider others above ourselves. And may the Lord grant us grace as we humbly follow our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize the, the weight of this passage. I recognize the weight of it even as I have wrestled through it and regarding my responsibility as an elder. We recognize how often we fail, how often we fall short to set an example for the believers. And so we do ask that you would forgive us of our sins. We give you thanks that Jesus is our good shepherd. He laid down his life for us, and we can be forgiven. So might you enable us all to follow his example. Might you enable us to follow his leading as we continue to look to you. Would you give us strength as elders to lead well, to shepherd well? And would you enable the body of Christ here at Pleasant Ridge to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? Might we build one another up and might we display humility towards each other 
so that we are affected and so that the culture and world around us and the people around us are affected for good and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.